Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by my friend Steve Lubitz. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. You pronounced my last name right, which is a rarity, so I am I am extra ecstatic. Well, you know I listen to you say your name every week on your podcast, so I have a little bit of practice listening anyway. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, it's only six letters, but it seems like it's it's difficult for people to pronounce, so I always appreciate it whenever anybody takes the effort to get it right. Well, you know, my name's kind of unusual, too, so I get all sorts of weird things when I go to coffee shops or whatever, and at one point, I actually started using my, my roommate's name because I just could never get my name right on, like, the barista's cups, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, my wife's name is Maureen and she would just like put down Steve whenever she was ordering because they would always misspell it and just completely mangle it. And then she wouldn't know who the order was for because they would try to pronounce whatever the other person misspelled and it would just cause like a a A cascade. Yeah. Yeah. So, Steve, who are you? So um, that's a good question. (laughs) Uh, I host a podcast called Isometric, which is a video game podcast that I host with uh, Brianna Wu of Giant Space Cat and uh, some uh, internet uh, notoriety, unfortunateness, late notoriety, uh, frequent guest on your show, who I'm sure your listeners are already already familiar with, and uh, Maddie Myers, who's a uh, an assistant editor at Pace Magazine in the video game section, and uh, Georgia Dow, who's a senior editor at iMore. She also hosts a podcast called Vector, where they talk about uh, technology and and living and so we just talk about video games and uh well we it's mostly about video games and it's sometimes about pandas and hand turkeys and i i can't even we we've kind of developed this mythology in the podcast of just like this this litany of running jokes that i honestly can't even list for you at this point because we've come up with so many of them and i we're kind of getting known for that now which is I, I've heard a lot of people who say that, you know, we, we try to keep it so that you could start at the the most recent episode, but we've been hearing more and more people saying, yeah, you really need to go all the way back to episode one and listen in order to understand what the hell's going on. So, oh, okay, well, you know, but uh, so we have a lot of fun. We talk about video games about at least half the show <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and just joke around and generally have a good time most of the most of the time. So. You get picked on because you're the token male and yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm the, I'm the, uh, the representative slash whipping boy for my gender, <laughs> which is, which is, is fine. And, you know, I give, I think I give as good as I get no, most I of the so time. Too. And, but, you know, it's all in, it's all in good fun. And we all have a lot of, a lot of fun together. So I, you know, it's, it, it's fun. I don't mind it. So how did Brie started, or Brie had the idea for Isometric, right? And she kind of assembled this cast of characters and you all just said, okay. Is that that how you all got started doing that? Well, it's kind of funny because the way that it started is so we'll go back to pa- Pax East of this year, and I Bree and I have been friends for a while before this, and I had gone to her talk. She had had a talk uh, panel at Pax East on uh, on representation in gaming, effectively. I forgot what the name of it was called, but it that's what it was with with her and Ken Gagney, our friend Ken Gagney from um from Game Bits, and Tifa Robles from, uh she does the uh I forget what the name of her, of her organization is a, a Magic the Gathering for intended for women, and uh, Susan Arendt from uh, from Joystick, 
And so I had, I was kind of on my own. I've, I've gone to PAX East every year since it started. Cause I mean, it's in Boston and I'm a nerd. So, you know, that's, that's my That's place. what you do, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I do. That's my, like, that's like my mini vacation every year. You know, that's like my one day or two days a year that I just kind of go and get to be me. Um, I, I, I've started thinking about when I'm going to take the girls, but we're not, we're not quite there yet. That's a, well, I've never been to PAX East, but I have been to San Diego Comic Con and I've been to Phoenix Comic Con and there's a ton of stimulation at those kinds of things. Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's kind of, that's kind of the balancing act because especially with two of my daughters who are on the autism spectrum, it's kind of, is this going to be fun or is this going to be overstimulating? So I'm still kind of figuring that out, but for now I'm going by myself and, and normally um i've been there with my friend greg demetric who is a longtime podcasting friend of mine i did some i've been doing podcasting i did it for about four or five years before this uh i started out with a fantasy football podcast back in 2005 that went through 2009 called extra points that i did with my friend scott and then my wife maureen and i did a podcast called the the wicked good podcast which was kind of like just like an audio blog of just you know our life and what was going on and stuff like that and then once it, once we had the twins in 2009 uh that pretty much stopped I, yeah so so um so but greg and i had still kept in touch and he and i were friends from back in those days and and we would hang out at pax every year and this was the first year that he wasn't there and the reason that he wasn't there was because he had um gotten cancer oh. earlier in the year and he seemed like he was getting better and that he was going to make it. And then it turned out that I had, I had messaged him that weekend and say, are you going to be able to come down? And he said, no, I'm not feeling up to it. I'm going to try to make it next year. And he ended up passing away a few months later, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry. So, you know, I was kind of go- walking around and it's, I don't know that I was thinking about it, but it's the kind of thing you think you're thinking about after that. And I was kind of thinking about, you know, I wanted to get back into podcasting and I don't really know what I was going to do. And I, you know, could I do a video game podcast? Well, I don't really you know, who am I, right? <laughs> you know, and, it, you know, but then it's like, uh, well, whatever. I have opinions. I'm a reasonably intelligent person most of the time. And so I could do that. So I was just kind of thinking about it. I don't even know that I would have, I, I, I don't even know that I was seriously thinking about it, but I was thinking about it. So we got, so anyway, so fast forward like a few days and we had had Bree and I and our friend Brian Matucci, who does Rogue Vertex, which is a game that you should go check out quick plug um but so we had a uh kind of a long-running iMessage uh chat for play ostensibly for playtesting rev 60 mm-hmm. which is brianna's game revolution 60 uh which was kind of co-opted for just general you know nonsense and i said not not even thinking about anything not even suggesting anything just you know and I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about maybe getting back into podcasting. And Bree's like, let's do it. And I'm like, what, what, what? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, let's do a podcast. You, you, can, you can be the Casey Liss of video gaming. Oh, and I'm no. Like, <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure that was her exact words. And I'm uh... like, are you sure? Because, you know, Bree, I know, it ta- you know, before this, she had been kind of kicking around the idea of doing a podcast. But I figured that, you know, even this was before the game came out and certainly before any recent notoriety. And I figured she could have whoever she wanted to, you know, get in a podcast. And, you know, so I was just kind of kicking around. She was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do a podcast. Like, okay. So um, one thing led to another. And Brie had been on the the debug episode about sexism and game with Georgia. And they had had a good rapport. And she had known Maddie 
uh, from a long time from doing panels at, at cons like Aresia and stuff like that together. So I mean, people say that we sound like we've been friends for years. And the one thing is that I had never spoken to either Maddie or Georgia, and I don't think Maddie or Georgia had spoken to each other for more than half an hour before we recorded the first episode. Oh, really? Yeah, we yeah, had... I never would have known. Yeah, we had a call, just like the four of us introducing each other and seeing how this was going to work, like a half hour call before we started. And then we just recorded the first episode. And I, I was still like, we were recording the episode. I was still having trouble telling apart Maddie and George's voices, like while we we're recording. But, you know, we, we just have, uh, you know, they're, they're all really talented, really amazing people. And we just, we just got along from day one. And we just had fun from that very first episode. And it's, you know, it's still one of my favorite things every week to be able to to get on Skype for like an hour and a half and talk to them and just be silly and forget about everything else for like, well, most of the, well, when we can forget about everything right. else, which is most of the time. Unfortunately, it's not, not all lately. the time. Yeah. Not lately all the time, but a lot of time, even, even this week, we were able to get back to normal uh when we were recording and just kind of be silly and yell at nintendo and uh you know just make fun of each other for an hour and a half and have fun so it's you know it's it's a lot of we have a lot of fun i so i think that kind of comes out in the show too and so it's you know i i enjoy it it's it's a blast it really is it's it's beyond anything i would have thought about six months ago just kind of walking around the show floor lost in my thoughts and thinking about what i wanted to do so yeah, it's um, it's fun to listen to, and I haven't. So I haven't been listening from the beginning. I think I came in at, I mean, pretty close, but like maybe episode eight to ten, um, and started listening. And um, so I'm in on all the in jokes. I'm like, yes, I know, I know what they're talking about. But um, but what I really appreciate it, and I know you've received a lot of feedback to this, is that I'm really not uh, an intense gamer. I you know, I play games, but like I've been playing Child of Light since I think July. Like I'm just not, that's, that's where I am right now. And, um, and I know that you've had a lot of feedback about like people writing. I don't play video games, but I really like listening to Isometric because I think it's about video games, but it's about like culture and it's about just sitting back and, and talking and having a conversation and it's enjoyable. So, you know. Yeah, I mean that's what we're going for. And and what I've always wanted to do, I mean, what what and what we talked about when we were starting the show is that we didn't want it to be like every other gaming podcast that's out there, which is a bunch of dudes and yes, I'm a dude. I'm a I'm a straight white guy, you know, whatever, but a bunch of dudes sitting around arguing about you know which character in final fantasy 9 is the best or whatever which we we kind of do anyway right. <laughs> sometimes uh-huh. but but you know or or just kind of assuming that the audience is a super hardcore gamer that understands all the things that we're talking about intuitively and all the the minor characters in any given game and, and the the one thing that I wanted to do is, you know, despite all of the stuff that's been going on, I mean, gaming's always been a really positive force in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same way for a lot of people. It's it's kind of a a refuge and it's something that you can turn to and and take your mind off things or just kind of go somewhere else for a little while. 
And I feel like I want to kind of share that positivity with other people and kind of bring them in, right? And not not create a space where a lot of times there's so much jargon. And I mean, it's it's like any tech podcast too, but any there's so much jargon. There's so much knowledge that you as a listener are expected to have coming into it. And what we wanted to do was say, no, you don't, you know, let's try to not get bogged down in that. And that's hard, right? Because mm-hmm. that's, that's the kind of thing that you don't even think about because you kind of take these things for granted. And it's like, no, we probably do need to explain what this game is because this is this may be the first time that somebody's hearing about this. And if we just kind of throw out a name, and then we do that sometimes when it's just in conversation. But if we're if we're talking about a game that we that the four of us know you know intimately what that game is, but our audience may not. Right. And it's like I, you know, so we can explain that. And so maybe that's something that you want to try. I mean, we get a lot of a lot of questions about just what's a good game to get started when I've been out of gaming for so long? And I love those questions. I, I love having that conversation about somebody who is, you know, who's either been out of gaming for a long time and wants to get back into it or somebody who's never really picked it up, but they somehow stumbled upon our font of nonsense for a while and heard about a video game in, in between the hand jerk turkey jokes and wants to get more into it and i that makes me so happy to be able to share that with somebody else and and i you know one of my favorite comics and it's kind of cliche is the xkcd of the lucky 10,000 where it's and i don't remember exactly how it, the setup goes but it's one two characters and one of them says you know oh I, you know makes an assumption and like oh i've never I've never done that. And instead of like berating them for not knowing what that is, like, oh, you're one of today's lucky 10,000. We're going to go see this right now. And that's that's how I approach all of it. And I I love that. I really do. I love being able to bring people in and show people what what it's been for me and what it's done for me and why I love video games so much. Yeah. And one thing I really love is um, when you talk about what you're playing, there's such a great variety of games. So for those who don't listen at the end of every episode, each of the panelists talks about what they've been playing lately. And a lot of the time it's Georgia saying, oh, I'm just playing this little bejeweled type match game on my phone. And, um, you know, some weeks it's like, I haven't had time to play anything and there's no pressure there. I think it's um, a realistic look at, at what people, what gaming is to like an average person you know, a person who loves games, but, you know, sometimes there's just not time. And sometimes there's only time to play a, you know, a little matchy game on your phone. And that's something that I think helps make it more accessible to the people like me who love playing games, but I'm like, okay, well, work 40 hours a week. I have a podcast. I have, you know, a lot of obligations and I don't have the time to sit down and play for an hour or two a day like I'd like to. Yeah. And and it's, you know, there's a lot of, and and I I will, you know, we talk a lot on the show how we were all terrible in 2010 and how, you know, we've grown over the past few years. And I used to look down on Candy Crush, too. And, I, you know, most of the objection that I have with something like Candy Crush is less the gameplay because I've put my hours into Bejeweled. I have 
I have spent more than my fair share of time playing Bejeweled and playing match three games. And I have no problem with that. And, and mainly it's Candy Crush specifically because I don't like their business model yep. more than anything else. And, and I feel like that's a game that feels predatory to mm-hmm. me. And I don't like seeing people get taken advantage of by a company that I just don't feel is very ethical. Yeah. Well, and I've been playing Happy Street. I fell in, got sucked into peer pressure and I've been playing Happy Street on my iPad just idly here and there. And they do the same type of thing. I don't think, I never played Candy Crush, but they're not quite as um, obnoxious about it. But, you know, it's like they have, you know, their special currency and you can use real world money to buy their currency. And that just, it feels skeezy to me. Um, I just, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, my wife plays some of these games too. She, she loves Heyday. And Heyday is like one of these farm type games where you go and you build a farm and you collect animals and, you know, you, you know, she plays it a lot. I don't even really ask about it, but, and what we kind of, we've had our disagreements about it in the past. And what she said to me, which really made it click and which was really like a super smart way to look at it, which is one of the reasons I married her (laughs) is she said to me, well, what's the difference if I spend $20 on this game that was free as opposed to all of the games that you pay for up front? Right. And, and she's right. I mean, she gets, if you get enjoyment out of that game, even if it's free to play up front and it's charging you for microtransactions, if you're getting enjoyment out of that game, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're doing it with eyes wide open. Right. And, and, that's, and that's where I get... That's where I I get a little bit nervous about Candy Crush because I don't know. There are some people who certainly are doing it with eyes wide open and there are some people who aren't. And that's where the kind of the line is. But if you're enjoying a game and it happens to be a free to play game and you're spending that money to support the developer, there's nothing wrong with that at all. If that's what you enjoy, that's what you enjoy. Yeah. You know, it's not it's 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 an effort to kind of keep people out by claiming that something like even candy crush is quote unquote not a real game right if you enjoy it that's a game to you like what difference does it make if someone's playing candy crush or someone's playing halo 3 it's that you know you can i've said this about diablo a lot like i diablo 3 i've put I don't even want to put a number. Well, I'll put a number <laughs> a on it. Hours. I've pro- a lot of hours. I've probably between the PC version and the and the console version. I've pr- I must have put at least between seventy and eighty hours into that game. And if it was free to play, it would be no different than you know something else. I mean, even in its earlier state, they had this auction house system where you could you could spend real money right. on equipment in the game, and generally the way that you got the good equipment was to go into the auction house and spend real money in addition to the game money you've already spent on the game. So it's really what makes that different from Candy Crush because Blizzard made it because it's a sequel to a game that wasn't free to play because you paid $60 for it up front. It's, you know, it's all semantics after, after a time. And if, you know, if you, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty infamous at this point for my addiction to desert golf, (laughs) which is, Desert golfing for your listeners benefit is a is a a horribly addictive game that is basically Angry Birds with a golf ball and it's there's there's really minimalistic graphics there's like nothing there there's like three sound effects the the running joke is that it's basically just 
sand and sky and you see a horizon for hole after hole after hole and then you go through like several hundred of these and all of a sudden there's a cactus and you you jump up and down because you're excited to see a cactus and it's like if you and explaining it to somebody i sound like a crazy person i sound like a crazy person now i listening to my own words explaining it to you and i've sounded like a crazy person on isometric explaining this and and but you play it and it is one of the most compelling games I've played all year. I we're like we're having a discussion about game of the year decisions that we're going to be making in and a couple months. And that's on the list. That's it, on the, it has that's to be. <laughs> it has to be. And, and I I've, I've said I've said in discussions like uh, I'm not demented enough to put desert golfing as my game of the year, and I'm starting to reconsider it because I have gotten more playtime out of that than than any other AAA game that's come out. Like I. I was playing this at the same time that Destiny came out, which was the big, um, huge big deal. The big, the big, the big first-person shooter release, and I'm I have this game that is what I've been waiting for ostensibly for like six months since I got my PlayStation Four, and I'm sitting here playing this game with like Commodore sixty four graphics <laughs> on my iPhone, <laughs> and it's it's like what is wrong with me? But nothing's wrong with me because it's a fun game. It's a fun game and I'm enjoying it. So who cares, right? Like no, that's yeah, the thing. I know, I know. You know, like that's the thing. Like, <laughs> and, and and that's what I love about it is that, and I love being able to find these games because you know one of the one of the things that people you know I I follow I read a lot I read a lot of blogs or I skim a lot of blogs I don't necessarily read everything but I skim a lot and I kind of find things that are interesting and I try to find things to play that are not halo that are not destiny that are not madden not i've talked about madden and i've talked about destiny and i play those games but i like variety and i like being able to expose people to things that are not first person shooters because that's what everybody thinks of when you think of the playstation 4 but there are a lot of other games that are not that that are that are different that have different things that that draw you in like like crypt of the necrodancer is a game that i love that is uh, a game where you're you're uh, a girl in a dungeon and you're moving you're moving and attacking to the beat of music that's playing in the background and it's it's kind of it almost turns into like this performative dance thing once you get into the into the groove of it and it's a mechanic that is awesome that you're not going to find you know a triple a AAA studio doing and i love being able to bring those things to light and and have more people play those and see that there are a lot of different experiences and a lot of different things to try. That's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, and I I love it and you know, I've got a cuz I'm sure some of my um laughter will make it into the episode, but the reason I laugh so hard is because um my husband, my Justin plays desert golf. And um so you know, we it actually started a fight, not desert golf. Isometric started a fight in my house because he was listening and I was listening and we weren't listening at the same time. And I was like, well, why don't we just listen to isometric together? And it, it created like this whole big, big, huge thing because there are very few occasions when we are together and can listen to a podcast. And, but so we were listening to desert golf together and it usually happens when we're in the car and, um, and you'll be talking about it. And Justin will be sitting next to me and he's like, yes, 
this is it. This is why I love it. And he's so enthusiastic about it. And I think I got to hole eight. And I'm like, I do not know. I do not know. (laughs) I do not see the appeal of this. And then, um, you know, like I was in Las Vegas earlier this month with my family and he was sending me screenshots of desert golf. (laughs) That happens. That happens a lot. I usually get those on Twitter annotated with, I'm on hole 752 and I hate you for destroying my life. (laughs) That's usually how I get those screenshots. So, um, but it's just hilarious to me. So, you know, he'll be, he'll be like talking to you as you're talking on the podcast and I will, it's just hilarious to me because I just, I did, I was not sucked in and I am grateful because I'd probably be playing it right now if I had been. Yeah. And it's not for everybody. And, you know, and I say, you know, you have to give it at least two or 300 holes before it kind of sinks in, <laughs> which, which on its own, which is a true statement, which is an absolutely true statement. Uh, and it sounds, I sound like a crazy you person. You do. I, and it's like, you. what the hell is wrong? 200, 300 holes before it sinks in. And, and. And that's how it sounds to me when somebody talks to me about Destiny and they're like, yeah, you got to get up to level 20 before it really you get start to get into the fun stuff. I'm like, doesn't that take like 20 or 30 hours of work to get up to that point? Well, yeah, it's like so I need to grind for 20 or 30 hours to get to the fun part. Yeah. OK, thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I'll go find something else to do. I'll be over here with desert golfing. Right. Thank you very much. Well, but, but the difference is desert golfing. I mean, you can do a hole in. 30 seconds a minute if you're really really p- paying attention and aiming and you know so that's it. and I think that's its appeal you you're standing in line at I don't know the post office or grocery store you pull out your phone you go through a few holes you go about your day it's not you, you know you don't have to sit down and do it so it, it's not a, it's not a heavy commitment yeah. I mean destiny is it's it's a different thing because you're you have to have the television you have to have the PlayStation on you you have control of that television you're not letting anybody else watch television while you're playing that game and and even for me like a console game is a bigger commitment than something that's on a handheld i mean i've talked on the show about my exercise routine how i work the console games into while i'm on the exercise bike because that's really the only time that i can get in front of the television and not feel like i'm taking it away from somebody else in my Mm -hmm. house and not have to you know chase the kids out of the room because i'm playing a quote-unquote daddy game Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't really play Shadow of Mordor during the day while they're around because, Daddy, what are you doing to that orc is not an, <laughs> a question that I really want to answer on a Saturday afternoon. No, I don't and, and you know what? If they're awake, I'd rather be playing games with them. I'd rather be playing something that we can co-op together than something that's just for me that I have to chase them out of the room. Because, I mean, when you do have kids, it's, you know, it's kind of moss to a flame. If I, you know, if they're doing if they're just kind of playing with Legos and I'm just kind of in the other room and I boot up steam, like all of a sudden I have three kids huddled around me seeing what I'm going to play. So it better be something that I'm comfortable playing in front of them. But yeah. So let's, let's talk about your daughters a little bit. So you have three twins and then a onesie. Yeah. So I have a seven year old and then twin five year olds. Okay. And all daughters, all (laughs) girls. Good luck. Yeah. And, um, as you, you shared a bit earlier and you've shared on isometric and on Twitter um, and on your blog and, you know, um, two of them are autistic. Yeah. Um, so, and then, and then as I was waiting for you to get set up, um, I saw a tweet about, you know, people using, 
um, autism as a pejorative term. Yeah. And so <laughs> I was yeah. literally standing here waiting for waiting to start our call, like shaking. I was so angry. So yeah, so was I when I saw that. Yeah, which is I why I retweeted it, and I believe that the comment was, "If you're going to use autism as a as a as an insult." For anything, you can just go ahead and unfollow me yeah. right now because I have no patience for that whatsoever. No. And that disgusts me. Yeah. So, um, so since it seems to be timely, um, and we were going to talk about it anyway, would you talk a little bit about what autism is so that our listeners can can have an idea? So, let me say this: I am not an expert on autism. I live with it every day through my daughters. I am. I, I know what my experience with autism is, and, and, and I, that's, I think, a really important thing to say because it's called an autism spectrum for a reason. Um, there's a lot of different experiences that people with autism have, and, and a lot of what most people think of when they think of autism is either Rain Man mm-hmm. or the the kid from the movie The Wizard is which is the the example that I usually go to being a a gaming nerd who grew up in the 80s. That was kind of my and everyone in my generation's first exposure to autism because the 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 wizard if you're, you know, if you're a little bit younger than or you haven't heard of it, The Wizard is a movie that was uh, effectively a 90 minute commercial for the Nintendo Entertainment System back in the late 80s and and mainly a commercial for Super Mario Brothers 3 but the the idea of it was that the there are two brothers and one of them is autistic and the brother I believe it's been a long time since I watched it I believe the autistic brother runs away and the and the the non-autistic brother and his friend go and chase after him and then uh eventually start hitchhiking across the country and end up in this big video game tournament that ends with Super Mario Brothers 3. And and so it and the big deal was that it was showing Super Mario Brothers 3 before it was released and and back in those days before we had the internet and we had Nintendo Directs and you know and YouTube and whatever that was pretty much the only way we'd be able to see a video game before it was released. So that was the the story of the movie was kind of inconsequential but it was there. So um my kids are not are not are much higher functioning than that. My oldest is has what used to be called Asperger's, which is is now just high functioning autism. Mm-hmm. And and my my younger daughter who has autism is a little bit lower functioning than that. But it's you wouldn't be able to tell it just by you know looking at them in any sort of a situation because what it looks like to someone who's not tuned to it is just a really cranky or really over emotional kid Mm -hmm. and and kids cry right like that that happens and one of the things that i wrote about in that blog post there's a blog post that i wrote a few months ago about about this and about how People who don't live with autistic kids will sometimes be very well-meaning, but will end up invalidating the fact that the kid does have autism. Mm-hmm. And this just happened to me very recently, actually, again, um, where and it's impossible to get mad at anybody because it's not 
it's not like they're trying to you know dismiss your feelings it's that they're trying to make you feel better because everybody wants their kid to be quote unquote normal. normal so and and they're kind of like well you know are you sure have you you know have you gotten a second opinion because they're 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 diagnosed they're so young they're diagnosing everybody with autism these days like no like i've i have a neurotypical kid i have a non-neurotypical kid i know the difference mm -hmm. and so what will happen is that it the the way that i i like to describe it or at least my experience of it is that it's kind of like a comp and i'm a programmer i'm a developer i work in it by day so the way i think of things is like a computer program right where if you have a computer program you have a set of steps that you're expecting to execute based on inputs that you're given and you have certain things that you are planning for there may be some contingencies that you know are coming and you can plan for those and correct accordingly and if you get a, a scenario where you get input that doesn't doesn't execute successfully and doesn't fall into one of those things that you've planned for you're going to crash and that's the way that that we behave is that if everything goes according to the plan that the girls have in their heads and that plan may or may not be accurate but they have a plan and they have a way that they expect things to go and they may we can coach them for certain things but if something goes unexpectedly, then they have a hard time reacting to that. And that usually manifests itself in, uh, in, in a meltdown in the younger one or the older one will just start crying or will get angry and just won't be able to react to that appropriately. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating for them because they can't really manage what they're getting. I mean, what I've one of the the research uh articles that i've read lately is that they when you when your brain is developing you shed synapses as you're as you're growing i think it's synapses or or neurons something i you know i'm not i'm not a neurologist right. i don't know Me neither, but yeah. some there there's something that grows in your brain that you shed and <laughs> like a skin yeah like you know like a snake yeah um but so there so as you grow normally you will shed some of these as your brain grows up but kids with autism don't don't shed them as much so they're they're still experiencing all this input that they can't process mm -hmm. and when they can manage it when it goes according to plan they're fine when they get overstimulated they can't manage it and they start to they start to react inappropriately or inappropriately based on societal you know norms. on societal norms right. and, and that's you know and that's really that's the fear that you have raising someone who is high functioning is that it's it's not obvious to somebody who doesn't know them and so you worry about a lot about i mean you know as a nerd right i'm i was bullied growing up mm -hmm. you know my wife was bullied growing up i mean you know not not to the point where I was getting shoved in lockers or whatever, but, you know, everybody was not fit in and being, you know, the nerd in class and, and, and teased and tormented for that. And you worry about, you know, when you have a kid who doesn't quite get how to behave in those situations and can't behave in those situations, especially when things don't go according to plan, 
how they're going to be treated as they go up through school because kids can be really super cruel and they can be cruel when you kind of do know how to how you're supposed to behave and when you can't control that it's it's kind of terrifying as a parent to not be able to help them with that yeah. you know what i mean yeah. so that's that's kind of of where we're at but it's it's not you know it's it's not like it's not like in the movies where you know they're just completely mute or they're just not responsive a lot of times i mean i've i've uh you know brought the kids to places and nobody would be able to tell and i and i've had conversations with people who know me and when we when we tell them no they're autistic i mean some people will say i you know what i really couldn't tell without you having told me because they don't they're happy kids right you know like they're they're smiling and they're happy and they're they're a joy most of the time and it's just when thing if thing everything's going right they are the happiest most fun kids to have around it's only when things go deviate from the plan that they have established for themselves that they they can't they can't manage it and they and they just break down mm-hmm. um so something that i've been more cognizant of especially as you and i have become friends and because i used to work with kids my mom um my mom was an early childhood specialist she ran special education programs she ran daycare centers when i turned 16 i started working in child care i've been one-on-one aides with kids with disabilities but it's been a long time um since I've worked with children and since I worked with someone who is not neurotypical. Yeah. And, um, and so following you on Twitter has really helped remind me. Um, and I think I'm becoming more patient because I'm more, you know, I don't, I don't have children. Um, I don't have children for a reason. Um, but I love kids, but I'm still that person when you go out to eat and the kid is screaming, I'm still the one going like, oh my gosh, why can't, why won't the kid shut up? And, um, yeah. and you have helped me and you don't know this, but you have helped me <laughs> <laughs> like when I get, when I get into that, I step back and I'm like, okay, I have no idea what's happening with this child. You know, I don't know right. if they're having a bad day. I don't know if, you know, maybe they're on the spectrum. I don't know if they just don't deal with change well i i don't know and it's not my place to sit here and and judge them for that um so thank you for being open um because uh i feel like i'm becoming a slightly better person because (laughs) you have been um i want to i would like to talk a little bit about like good responses (laughs) for people because you your blog post was about like this makes me feel bad. You tell me all kids are like this. This makes me feel bad because not all kids are like this. So I'll share what I do when you, you know, you're having a bad day and you've posted like, you know, one of the girls has had a bad day today. It's, it's been rough. And I'm like, that really sucks. Here's a heart emoji. (laughs) Because I literally, I, I'm aware that nothing I say is going to change that. But I know that it's hard for you, and I know it's hard for your kiddo. So how are some ways that, like, some of your friends or family members have helped you when you're having bad days? Yeah, I mean, I think just the biggest thing is that if you, and, and, you know, again, I'm going to say this, it is always, almost always coming from a a good place. So I, I really... I do my best not to get upset because even though it does make me feel bad and it does frustrate me, I, I try to keep in mind that 
everyone's always trying to help, right? And and that's that's the the kind of the the thing that to keep in mind in this situation, at least for me, which is tough because it's it's st- you know I I've I've known Bree a long time, and Bree talks. One of the things that I learned from Bree was just not to invalidate somebody else's experience, and that's more of a when and she's dealing with it from more of a position of sexism generally and and that's more of a i don't want to say hostile but it's probably the the word that i'm going to use just because i can't think of one that's better And, and i know that that's not the case but one of the things that's even more exhausting is you're not going to be able to help with the situation with it by offering suggestions. It, typically, if you if you do not have, if you're not unless you're in a position where you are also the parent of an autistic kid, then you you I can explain to you what the behavior looks like, and it's not really going to. I mean, unless you're spending a lot of time with the kid in question, right? You're not going to, it's not going to really have the same impact because it is, what I said in the blog post was death by a thousand cuts. Mm -hmm. And it's not any one thing. Like if it was just one thing that you knew you could work around, you could work around it. But it's, it's everything. It's a lot of different things and it's unpredictable. Mm -hmm. One thing that, um, that we have with my youngest and thank God that she stopped this because this was infuriating is that she, and, and she still has a preference for my wife over me. Um, she will listen to my wife when she asks her to do something. And I have to ask her, Maureen to, to tell her to do something in some cases because she just won't react when I do it. And, and you know, it's, it's punishment doesn't work, right? Cause it's just going to punishment just makes it worse right. with an autistic kid. But what she used to do was we would be in a store and generally my wife would take up the front because she knew what she needed. And I would take up the rear and make sure that the kids weren't getting, you know, getting lost in the toy aisle or whatever. Right. And my youngest would, and I say my youngest, she's one of the twins, but you know, just for our, just cause I don't want to use easier. names. It's easier. Yeah. <laughs> um, would sit down in the middle of the aisle and refused to move unless my wife came back and took her by the hand. And to the point where I could ask her, I could take her hand, she would not go with me if the only options I had were either to get my wife to come back and take her or pick force like bodily pick her up, which would then lead to a, a tantrum in the middle of the store. And she did this I I was mostly afraid that she was going to do this in the middle of the street because it was just kind of random where she would decide to sit down and then not move. And and this is the kind of thing, like this is one thing and it sounds like, okay, well that's kind of annoying, but it's but just one thing. It's just one thing out of like a hundred that I could go through, but we don't have enough time in the podcast. Right. So, you know, it's the kind of thing that you, there's no way, instead of offering suggestions, because whatever suggestions you're going to come up with are, are probably something that is, has already been tried and failed. And 
what you can do is just kind of offer support like i'm sorry that sucks you know do you need to talk is there anything i can do just you know the general comfort and just being there and just saying i you know that sucks and i can't imagine what you're going through like that's that kind of stuff is fine and just know that if you're dealing with this even though it doesn't seem like you know the kid is um even though it may not it may seem from the outside like the kid is perfectly neurotypical the nobody wants their kid to have an autism diagnosis right you know that which is not to say that that's something that's terrible and and um and you know life destroying or whatever it's not and, and it's something that's it's it's something it's something about them the same way that i you know am short or you know it, it's just a function of what their their personality and their their development is mm-hmm. but nobody wants to hear that so if you have a family that is saying to you no my kid is autistic trust that that's really what it is because saying that i you know are you sure wow. is is you know are you sure have you gotten a second opinion you know what i mean like that's it's it doesn't help. No. It's like, yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty sure because the last thing that I want to do is tell you that my kid is autistic because, you know, I mean, again, it's something that is part of them, but you know, it's still no no parent ever wants to hear that their that their kid has a diagnosis for anything other than like an ear infection maybe. You know, like no no parent wants to ha- hear that their kid has a diagnosis for something that's a lifetime that they're going to have to deal with. So that that's all it is, is just kind of be comforting. But, you know, comfort is accepting what they're telling you and, you know, being there to to be a shoulder and not, you know, telling them that their kid is normal, because if they're getting to that point, then mm-hmm. no, I know that they're not that that they're not neurotypical. Yep. Even I slip and say normal sometimes when I shouldn't. Um, but no, my kid is not neurotypical, and I know that, and I need you just need you to accept that, basically. And the other thing is, um, and I don't know if people who haven't, you know, I, I, I get it on some level, you know, because I have been a, a primary caregiver for, for kids on the spectrum. Um, but the other thing I like to emphasize is, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to celebrate with, um, with autism that you wouldn't necessarily celebrate with other kids. Absolutely. And so if you see a parent like making a big deal because like a child who was, I don't know, three or four is feeding him or herself, you know, yeah, cool. Because, because children with autism, as you've said, rely so much on routine and it is, it is often difficult for them to break out of that. And routine is everything, right? It's, it's oh, yeah. mom's feeding me. I'm not feeding myself. Dad doesn't feed me. It's mom. Or, you know, dad always texts me in at night. Mom doesn't tuck me in at night. Dad does. And so if someone with a child, you know, d- tells you, like, this is a huge accomplishment, just accept that it's a huge accomplishment. And don't, don't. Yeah. Or the flip side of it is that if it's something that you're trying to correct and no, it's no, that's fine. Don't worry right, about it. Yep. Well, no, I, I 
need to because that's something that we need to work on. And I know that you say it's fine, but that's something that we need to work on. But that absolutely, I mean, is it, it's hard to explain to somebody who's not dealing with it. But my friend, um, and, and I believe you're friends with her too, Anna Tarkov, who, um, who run, who's part of the Unconsolable podcast, mm-hmm. which is another gaming podcast. She run also runs a blog called Autism Is Awesome, and she had posted the other day that her son had eaten at the table without the television on for the first time. He's three, and to anybody else it's like well yeah why aren't why are you letting him eat in front of the television like what's wrong with you and but it's like to me hearing that is like no i know if that kid is if her son is eating in front of the television that's because that's the only way that he will eat a meal and the fact that he was able to do it without is a huge step and that's absolutely something to celebrate and but it's something that is not it's not something that you can understand without knowing somebody who's going through this or who having gone through it yourself mm-hmm. that sometimes these little milestones that seem like they're trivial, but to a parent of an autistic kid is, is like a giant step forward. And to just, you know, just, just be there and just congr- you know, be there and, and join in that celebration and, you know, don't question it, basically. Yeah. Thank you for talking about that. Um, it's important to me. I mean, you know, it's... It is. It's me You know, because it's... It's hard to... It's hard for, you know, to adapt to this. And it's hard to explain to, to somebody in a way that it will make sense. Because you really can't. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's... It's hard. I mean, my kids, especially when we're out, I'm generally, I mean, most parents are. I'm a lot more patient than I am when we're home. And they're, they more often than not are better behaved when we're out than mm-hmm. when we're home. So it's, yeah. it's the kind of thing, like, well, your kids seem so, you know, seem so polite and so well behaved. And it's like, well, yes, they are, but you don't see them when things go wrong. And you don't see them when they have challenges. And you don't see us helping, having to help them through that a lot of the time. And so it's, it's hard to, it's almost like you have a double life, (laughs) you know, Uh where, where, where the kids, you know, they present as normal, happy, neurotypical, friendly kids, but that's because they're in an environment that is suited for that. And, and until, you know, when they're, when they are happy they're they're a joy i mean they're a joy no matter what right but they're they're a joy to be around they are happy smiley fun kids it's just that when things go wrong they go very very wrong and they go very very wrong in a hurry and it just it's hard the other thing that's about it is that you start to it's hard to tell especially and i know that there are i've had some conversations with autistic parents who also have autistic kids and they in some respects have a bit of an advantage over me being neurotypical where they can understand intuitively what the what their kid is going through and help them through it because they're going through the same thing and i'm i don't have that experience so there's a lot of time when you have the question of is this a behavior that's a normal kid misbehaving that I need to correct 
Or is this something that's an autistic trait that I just need to accept and try to help them through as best I can? And there's a subtle difference there. But that's a constant question. And it's something that, because if it's something that they're doing to misbehave that that is something that they could be correcting, then you do need to use discipline to, you know, to time out or, or you know, a, a discussion about it to try to explain to them why that's, why that's um, not acceptable behavior. But if it's a behavior that they can't control, then that's actually more damaging because you're coming down on them for something that they literally have no control right. over. And so that's a constant struggle that I have as a parent that it's not like, well, they're just misbehaving. So just go put them in timeout. Well, if you know, she's crying and slamming the door and running up to a room and slamming the door. Is it because, you know, that's not necessarily something that I need to be punishing her about because she can't help her reaction. Right. I need to help her and coach her with how can you manage that better? But you know, if I were to discipline for her for that or put her in timeout on top of that, that would just kind of add insult Snowball, to injury. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that's another thing that is kind of an, an added level of difficulty in this whole situation that, you know, when you're a parent of a neurotypical kid, you don't really have to think about quite so much. Yeah. It's hard. It it's it's hard. It's you know, people tell me I'm a great parent and you know, it, it you like to believe that. You, you know, in the darker days it's not it's hard to see that it's hard to see past that because there's so much that especially being neurotypical and having autistic kids there's so much that i just don't understand Mm -hmm. about their experience and i will never even if it's even if someone can explain it to me i'm never gonna feel the way that they're feeling right you know i'm never gonna know what is going on in inside their head when these things are happening to help them know when that's when that feeling is coming on and try to try to short circuit it before it becomes something that you know ends up uh, you know derailing them for half an hour yeah and so that's kind of a struggle that i have and it's hard you know i do the best i can you know my kids seem to like me okay (laughs) but you know it's it's hard to and you know we're we are you know when when you look back at it objectively, we're doing a good job, and our kids are great, but you know it's hard to see that in the moment, and there are so many moments that it's really hard to to you know kind of take a step back and say, "No, you know what these kids are doing awesome and and are fantastic in spite of all the extra all the extra stuff that they have to overcome in order to get there. And that just makes them that much better and that much stronger and is going to set them up so much better later on, you know? And and that's hard to do in the moment. And especially after they go to bed, it's just, you know, just lie down and crash. Right. Yeah. Cause it's just, it's so, it, you know, the exhaustion is hard to, it's hard to explain it's you know but because it's physical and it's emotional and it's overthinking and rethinking and yeah and i mean it's hard to be a parent normally and it's hard you know whenever you you crank it up to uh to expert mode (laughs) when you're not an expert 
is uh you know it, it's it's tough but you know well and the thing the thing about it too is that neuroscience is such a young field i mean there's so little that i mean so i think about anatomy and how you know just a few months ago a new ligament was discovered not a new ligament newly discovered <laughs> Doctors recently discovered a ligament behind in the knee that they never knew about before, right? And that's, we've been cutting bodies open for centuries and we haven't been in brains that long. And there's so much that we don't know about neurotypical people, let alone, you know, kids who aren't and people who aren't. So, you know, I've got nothing but respect for you because I know, I know it's hard. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's worth it in the end. And, you know, I wouldn't have my kids any other way. They're they're awesome. All three of them are awesome. They sound awesome. You know, and I mean, when my oldest like drops, my oldest wants to, you know, knock down walls to play Super Smash Brothers and, (laughs) you know, and and we're getting together and playing Skylanders all at the end of the day. Like, you know, it's fun and it's all it's all worth it. It really is. And they're awesome kids. Yeah. So let's video games. Kids in the video yeah. games. Do all three play? Um two of them do. Uh my oldest and the twin who is does not is not on the spectrum mm-hmm. will play and the twin who is on the spectrum sometimes she'll try. She's kind of she plays more on the iPad. She plays a lot on the iPad, but as far as console games are concerned, she's not she's not particularly into it. Um, but my seven-year-old is, I mean, I talk about her on Isometric a lot, and she and I do co-op in a lot of games in the evenings, and, and, uh, her sister is starting to get there, but she's still starting to have trouble managing the controller, Mm. which is something that when you're, you know, when you're a geek parent and you're thinking about getting your kids to, you know, having kids to play video games with, you kind of forget that Hands there's this whole, big. yeah, there's this whole hand-eye coordination yeah. thing <laughs> that, that sometimes doesn't work out so quite so well. When and you're five, you don't, yeah. Yeah, when you're five and you don't, and you, you don't realize like, the, you know, everyone says that gaming is for kids, but those controllers are made for adult oh, hands. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have, Mar- we, we've, when Mario when Mario Kart 8 came out, we spent a lot of time trying to play it and the one problem that we have with Mario Kart is that it I think I just talked about this on the the last episode of Isometric that we just recorded too. I don't remember. I, it's it's sometimes it's a blur, blur. until I go mm-hmm. back and edit them. Yep. Um but so what happens in Mario Kart is that a lot of racing games What'll happen is that after the first person crosses the finish line, it'll kind of initiate a counter, and then everyone else has until that counter comes down to get across the finish line or else the race will end. And Mario Kart doesn't do that, which is great for, you know, for families where you have people of differing ver- differing uh, ability levels and everybody still gets a chance to cross the goal line right, or the finish line, except if you have a kid who is having trouble driving in a straight line. <laughs> Like and me. so, yeah. <laughs> so what will happen is that we'll play like the four of us, my wife, my oldest daughter, my, my young, one of the, the twin who plays and me, and three of us will cross the finish line. 
And then the five-year-old will still be going in circles <laughs> in the first lap. And then it's like, well, we can't just quit out of the race because we're doing like a series. So now I need to take the controller from her and finish the race for her so that we can all move on. So we all kind of just sit there for like three, four minutes while I play through the same race that I just finished to play through again. So uh, there, there's some Dad there's gets some extra practice. Yeah, it, it's it's gotten me pretty good at uh, at Mario Kart at, at beating five year olds at Mario Kart. Oh, it's it's good. gotten me. Good. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, I could I could even beat the seven year old once in a while. But awesome. Um, so you know, it's the kind of thing that there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of games that are ostensibly for kids that are actually really difficult for younger kids to play. Like Disney Infinity, is one that I thought was going to be awesome because our kids are like all in on Disney and like the amount of frozen paraphernalia that I have around my house will, well, probably not shock you, no, but no. it's, it's impressive. Yeah. Uh, we have multiple gigantic Olaf stuffed animals floating around the house in various rooms. So I, th you know, we thought, you know, we've done Skylanders. Skylanders is, is actually as much as it gets a bad reputation for being, uh, a money sink which it is is actually a really well-designed game and it's a lot of fun and it's something that kids can actually latch onto and do pretty well at for a number of reasons so i figured disney infinity would basically be the same thing but with disney characters like win-win but the problem with disney infinity is that it's set up a lot less like skylanders and a lot more like a traditional third party third person action game like something like tomb raider or um or one of the uncharted games or something like that mm -hmm. and which involves both moving around in 3d which is difficult for a kid to, to grasp in the first place and also having to manipulate a camera oh. so for a five-year-old who's still getting the gist of holding the stick forward and pressing a to jump right and now you're going to ask them to manipulate a camera with the right control stick and and get them walking in the right direction when i'm pressing up and why aren't i walking forward right it's you know it's it's kind of frustrating that way so it's it's actually a lot harder to find good co-op games to play with them especially like even the lego games I've had a really hard time with because they even those are kind of designed for older kids that with an expectation that they're going to have a grasp of how to move around. And so the the Lego games, at least most of the newer ones, will go into split screen if you get off, if you get oh, separated. I hate that. Oh, I hate it too. Oh, uh, we have Lego Avengers and I'm like, no, we have to stay together because I just, yep. I can't deal with this. Right. So we did we tried doing Lego Batman 2 because my my daughter is a DC girl, not a Marvel girl. Mm. She is all she I can't um, get her to touch any Marvel stuff. Um I, I I'm know, a D, I'm a DC guy too, so it's okay. <laughs> I I've okay. always been more of a more of a DC guy than than a than a Marvel guy myself, so I'm okay with that. I've always liked, you know, I like Superman and stuff like that growing up, but um so we were playing Lego Batman 2 and we get separated and it's like, no, you need to come back here. Well, I don't know where I am and I don't know where you are. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, 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 and 
Yeah, I mean, at least the sky and so the sky. What the Skylanders games do is they keep you on the same screen, and and it can be frustrating if they try to get separated, but then it just doesn't let you go. And sometimes you can get stuck that way, but at least it keeps that kind of constrained. So it's it's funny. It's something I've been thinking about a lot. Is just what makes something a good co-op game mm-hmm. to play with them, and there there are so few, really, that are both designed well so that i can co-op with the kids and also interesting enough that i will actually want to play it because because if a game doesn't keep my interest either i'm not going to want to play it with them and one of the things that i've learned is that i need to preview these games because if i don't like playing with it playing it with them or i don't like playing it period and they take a a liking to it I'm going to be in a world of boredom for a few weeks. And, and, you know, it's fun to play with my kids regardless, but it's more fun if we're playing something that we all enjoy or at least isn't excruciating to me. So, I, you know, and I've gotten, I've fallen into that trap more often than I would like to admit where I've found a game and, oh, I'm I'm sorry, we need to just take that game back to the library. That That needs to go back so somebody else can rent it. But you didn't rent that game from the library. I yes, I did. I did. <laughs> oh, you're lying to them. Well, lying you know it's them. yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, for everyone's every, every, sanity. Yeah, it's it's for everybody's good in the <laughs> in the long run. Yeah. So you and I have had some conversations on Twitter about um, Lego Friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so I had this. I've, I've been saving because you offered so long ago to come on the podcast if I was in a pinch and needed you know needed to have someone come on on the lot at the last minute. And so um, it must have been in July that you and I had this conversation about Lego Friends. And I was like, you know, I just I don't remember toys being so gendered when I was little because, like, on the you know I'm I'm an almost thirty two year old grown woman. Lego friends is stupid level, you know, I'm all yeah. in. And, um, because for those of you who don't know, because, um, some of you don't, I'm sure it's, it's Lego, but they made it purple and pink. And there are a lot of, um, kind of girl stereotype sets with, you know, here's your bake shop and here's your veterinary your, clinic yeah. and, and here's your flower shop. Flower, and, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, like, on this ideological level, I have a, a, an issue with it. There are cool ones. There's, you know, the inventor who has, builds robots. and But I was just like, why did we have to make it purple and pink? And why did it have to be, you know, like this? And I don't remember toys being like this when I was little. And so my mom came down in August, and I talked to her about it. And I was like, okay, so I was playing with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, you know, Lego and, I don't know boy toys and were toys really gendered when I was little and she said oh absolutely I just didn't I just bought you what you wanted and so I was like okay fine (laughs) but but something you said to me is you know Elaine this is all this is all just talking for you you don't have little girls and you you know I'm gonna buy them the Lego set that they want they want to play with because some Lego is better than no Lego. Well, I'm, pro- I'm sure I probably said it much nicer than that, but yeah. No, you, yeah. <laughs> well, and you said it in 140 characters too. Yeah, so right. You're, right. Um, but and and you're so absolutely right that um, that you know it's just get them what they want. But I wanted to, I don't know, share that story. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I get. I guess the thing of it is that, and 
you know, I'll go back to the we were all terrible in 2010 thing, but um, you know, when my I I my daughter was got an interest in like superheroes really really early. My oldest daughter got an interest in and it was actually Marvel. So I don't know what happened that she burned out on Marvel and then ended up switching teams. It it might have been some gentle nudging uh-huh. from uh someone who might have some influence over her. Uh-huh. I don't know. But uh in any event. So but she was into those like really, really young, like like four years old. And and I was kinda I don't know. Like you know, is that something that, you know, that's that's not and and then I you know, eventually I kinda came around like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like if she wants to be into superheroes, let her be into superheroes. Who cares? Like, if that's what she wants to do, that's awesome. So I came around to that. But the thing of it is, right, that with Lego, it's Lego Friends kind of has to exist because Lego went in a direction. I mean, we have, we've all seen the the ad from the 70s or the 80s of the girl Little with the, girl. the multicolored, yeah, the blonde girl with the the multicolored Lego blocks like she built it herself or whatever whatever it is. And once they started getting the licensed sets, they started skewing heavily in a in what we we would call a traditional boy mm-hmm. direction. Um, by going down the, you know, and none of these things are, are exclusive to boys, right? Like girls like Star Wars. Right. Um, you know, but that's kind of the marketing direction that they went in with the, especially with like their own things like the, like Ninjago and Chima and these other things that I can't pronounce. (laughs) And but they they kind of doubled down on the boy market and then they did the same thing that Disney kind of did in the other direction cuz Disney really doubled down on the girl market and then they discovered that they had a boy problem as they put it. Nice. Um after they went through all the the princess movies in the in the 90s and the early 2000s and then they discovered that they were skewing very heavily female. So they kind of had to do something because Lego was getting a reputation for being a boy's toy. And Ultimately, the way that I look at it is I was just as upset as you were about Lego Friends when they first announced it. And I, I you know, pounded my fist on the table and I said, my daughters aren't going to aren't going to get Lego Friends. Like, come on. They could just have a reg- real Lego set like everybody else. And they don't need this this one that's pandering to girls. Mm-hmm. But they kind of like pink. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> So we're in the aisle and they're like, oh my God, it's Lego, but it's pink. I want it. Yeah. I'm like, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's so, the when I came around to it pragmatically, it's like, at the end of the day, they're Legos. I mean, I, there are problems with the Lego friend sets. Don't get me wrong. The messages that they send where the boys, the boys sets get to build helicopters and be superheroes and take over the galaxy and the girls get to sell flowers is not great. And the fact that the same priced set for Lego Friends tends to have fewer blo- fewer bricks in it than the than the quote unquote boy versions is not great. There are problems with it. I I will own up to that. But at the end of the day, if they want to build with Legos, I really don't care what color the box is. Yeah. You know, and if it has minifigs that are 
characters that they can relate to, then you know what? That's fine. They're not building the sets that are on the box anyway. They're just building their own stuff. So it's basically they've got a whole bunch of bricks that are pink and purple that they like. Yep. And they're happy with it. I mean, we still we still don't let we still try not to let like Barbies into the house and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh even though Barbie's gotten a lot better over the years. But the other thing that you kind of discover once you're doing this parenting racket for a while is that those toys are going to come in the house one way or the other, yeah. because even if you don't buy them, someone else will some, some relative who's meaning well is going to buy them or they're going to get one at a birthday party. And it's just, that's, they're kind of come into the house one way or the other. And you just have to not make a big deal of it. And, and my daughter did get a bunch of Barbies for one of her last birthdays and she played with them for a couple days and then they went in the closet and she's back with the Legos and the video games. Yeah, that's how so, I always was with Barbie. I never yeah. knew what to do with the Barbies. Never. Yeah, they're just they just kind of sit there. Yeah. They don't do anything. So they're kind of boring and they're like, "Well, I could be playing with these Legos that are actually do something or I could play with this doll that's just going to sit here." Yeah. Well, and I think I, I think what makes me so mad about the Lego friends thing is I have this very I loved Lego when I was little. So I have this very distinct memory of the house we lived in when I was in the first grade and my bedroom and the shelf where my it was a, a red and white like a what is it gingham the picnic blanket print yeah, 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 box. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was my Lego box. And I can remember where on the shelf it sat. I can remember, you know, the first time I, you know, you do the flap thing where you can close it without taping it and it won't spill everywhere. So I have these very, very, I remember sitting on the floor with my mom playing with them. So I have very strong emotions tied to Lego. And so I see Lego friends and I'm like, okay, but but they're not minifigure scale and they're not, you know, couldn't they have just made regular sets with purple and pink bricks and that turquoise, that turquoise is beautiful. I have some of those, you know, but, um, so that's, I think that's why it's so such like a visceral reaction for me. And because I don't have kids, I can be high and mighty about right, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, what it comes down to is they just like pink, you know, I mean, this is when I first really started getting the, you know, the the representation in video games thing that we talk about all the time on Isometric. And, and it's, it, you know, to the point where, you know, some of us can't play certain games because of the lack of representation and, and, you know, our discussions that we've had about that. But when I first got it was... We got it when we got a Wii U. It was about a year ago. It was right around this time. Well, it was it was like Thanksgiving time this time last year, and we got Super Mario 3D World, which is an awesome game, mm-hmm. by the way. And it's awesome because you can. We were able to co-op. I was able to co-op with all three kids, even the little ones, because what you can do in that game is you can just go into a bubble. If you're stuck or if you fall off the edge of the level and you can just kind of float there. And so my older daughter and I could actually play through the game and the younger ones could try to go as far as they could. And then if they got stuck, they could just go in the bubble and float over it while we did the hard work. But what happens with Super Mario 3D World is that you have four characters to choose from. You have Mario, you have Luigi, you have Princess Peach, and you have Toad. And you eventually unlock Rosalina, spoiler alert, whatever. But, you you know, most of the game, that's what you have. And 
each pl each one can only be controlled by one player. So you can't have two Mario's or you can't have two Luigi's or what I discovered was the sticking point in my household is you can't have three princess peaches. Oh no. So there, every time that we would play, it would start out with a 15 minute argument over <laughs> oh, who no. would get to play princess peach yeah. because that's who they wanted to play. They wanted to play as the girl who could blame them. That's, and that's when it sunk in for me. Like, this is so basic, right? It's it's obvious. You 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 know, I play with these and it is it's like punching me in the face that all three of them want to play as the girl and there's one girl and why can't they all play as Princess Peach? And this is a game that actually is letting them play as a girl. So how many games are we playing that they can't they don't even have the option and they're putting up with it but they would rather be playing as a girl. Yep. So it's that type of thing but they, you know, they like Princess Peach also, you know, I mean, she wears a pretty pink dress. My daughter's going to be Princess Peach for Halloween. Yay. Um, and a pink Spider-Man too, right? A uh, pink uh, Supergirl. Supergirl. That's right. Yeah, there was, that, that was the other thing is that we went, we went to Party City to get, um, to get Halloween costumes and they have the canonical Supergirl outfit, Supergirl costume. And they have one that is just bright pink, entirely pink and silver. There is no other color on the costume. Aww. And my my younger daughter, the one the one on the spectrum, picks it, and she's like, "I want to be that." And well, first she picked Batgirl, and we talked her out of that, not because it was pink, but because it had no sleeves. And this is New England. Yeah, a little chilly. So, but the leather so jacket. No leather no, jacket. No, no, oh. no. It's no. It's not. It's oh. not the new Batgirl. It's oh. the old Batgirl. Oh, never mind. Yeah. So yeah. it's not even like the cool new Batgirl uh, outfit. It's the traditional Batgirl Bummer. outfit. But you know, traditional but all pink. Yeah. So then we steered her towards Supergirl, and but she wants to be all pink Supergirl, and she wants to be all pink Supergirl because she likes pink, and you know that's there's nothing wrong with that no. either. So you know, even though. It's stereotypical, but they also do like it. Yeah. And so, you know, if that's what they like, if she wants to be Pink Supergirl, let her be Pink Supergirl. Rock Pink Supergirl. You know, who am I to, who am I to judge, right. right? If that's what she wants to be, go be Pink Supergirl. Be awesome as Pink Supergirl, you know? Yeah. No, and I, you know, I think I would have issue if it had, if, if there had only been Pink Supergirl, and that was right. her only choice. Yeah. But if that's what she wants to be, yeah. Yeah. Rock on. Yeah, no, they did have they did have regular the the Spider Girl one was weird. They just kind of made up Spider Girl and it's all pink. And that was kind of weird. But they had both for Batgirl and Supergirl, they had both the regular one and the pink one, and she chose the pink one. So okay. Yeah. Be pink supergirl. Go for it. Well, here's the thing about the, going back to Lego. Because yeah. I just thought of this. Um there was a thirty minute little documentary you can watch on Netflix about it. Mm -hmm. Here's another thing that made me mad. Um <laughs> Sweet, well, we'll just we'll just turn this into Aline's grievance. Well, it's it's Aline's airing of grievances about Lego. Aline hates Lego. It's happy Festivus, everybody. <laughs> so we'll have the feats of strength next. Well, I just have so many memories. <laughs> it's just, like it's precious to me. But no, we were watching it, and they actually said that they didn't think girls wanted to play with Lego. And it wasn't, an, it, and somehow they suddenly had this epiphany that, that girls might want to play. And that's when they came up with Lego Friends. And I just, I was, I was just slack jawed staring at this because. Have it, they met a child? I don't, 
I was just <laughs> amazed. Like, I don't think girls are different everywhere. Um, it was weird. It was very, very weird. You know, and and it kind of it's it's amazing to me because it's not even you know. I know the term daddy feminist gets thrown around a lot and sometimes I take offense to it and sometimes I don't, but I get where it's coming from. But it's like some of these people have to have daughters, right? Like you, you would think that some of these, even if it's all a hundred percent, 110% men in the room doing this, right? That some of them they're statistically right. Go home would, and have a little girl would, would have a girl and they work for Lego. Presumably, they get a pretty good corporate discount. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That they're bringing these things home, and the girl's going to play with them. Like, it just... it That's mind-boggling that they they didn't realize that girls would want to play with Lego. But I guess that does explain a lot of their choices over the last, you know, decade or yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That, that does frustrate me. I mean, yeah. that's... It, it's like, you know, I mean... And, like, you know, I, I've learned a lot of this stuff just by being around my girls for a long time. But it's like, there's, if they want to, there's a lot of stuff that they want to do that maybe isn't quote-unquote girly. I mean, they also dress up. They also, you know, they draw a lot. They, um, they do, they have tea parties, whatever. But they also play Lego. They play video games. They have a marble maze set where they build a marble maze and, and see how big they can make it. And, you know, there's no, if they want to do any of that stuff, just, there's nothing just because of their gender that's keeping them from doing any of that stuff. Like, and that's the thing that's kind of mystifying that there's still a, a, a mentality that girls aren't interested in this stuff right. and maybe they're not interested in this stuff because you're not giving them an opportunity to be interested in this stuff yeah and if you just put it in front of them and say here's all the things you can do figure out what interests you and then do it then it you know it, it's you're you're it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if you don't give them the opportunity if you don't market towards them i mean there was a great a great episode and you and I have talked about this on Twitter about that was on planet money a couple of weeks ago about when women stopped coding. Yep. And the gist of it is, and I would encourage you, hopefully you can link it in the show notes. And, yeah, and, I absolutely will. And, and I would encourage you to go listen to the whole thing because it's fantastic. And basically what happened was that as soon as personal computers came into the home, the marketing people decided that those were tools for boys and that's how they marketed them. And so boys were the ones who got computers and girls didn't. I had a Commodore 64 from when I was four years old. That's what I learned to code on. I learned to code on a, on a Commodore 64 in basic because I got a magazine with called Compute Gazette. I still remember this where if you wanted to, we didn't have a disk drive. So if we if I wanted to play a game on it, which of course I did because I'm me, uh, what you had to do was type a basic program into the command line and run it, and then you could play that game until you turned the computer off and then it was gone. Mm -hmm. And that was how I learned how to code. You know, I learned how to code by having that from a young age. 
and typing those programs in and later on downloading public domain text adventures and going into the source code to figure out how to cheat in them. Steve. And, well, you know, oh. I, I still, you know, I still play games on easy mode, so whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm a cheater. Not a I don't gamer. care. I'm not a real gamer. Yeah. I'm a fake gamer yep. boy. But, you know, and so, but how many girls didn't have that opportunity because they were told by the marketing people that that wasn't for them. So they were cut off from that opportunity. So that's what I try to do is I just try to, and sometimes I have to fight my lizard brain to do it because I'm not perfect. Right. And I'm, I'm a product of this marketing the same way that everybody else is. And I'm, I have to be cognizant that I'm not perpetuating that, but I, it's my job as a parent to not limit them to any opportunity that they want to pursue. Yep. If they want to, if they want to go into writing, let them go into writing. My daughter was going, my, my oldest daughter had a, uh, a feeling for a little while that she wanted to write a graphic novel. So we got her a sketchbook. We found some art books that, that Brie recommended, and we got her started with that. She, I mean, she hasn't really pursued that since, but if that's something she wants to do, let her do it. You know, There's no reason to cut them off and say, this isn't for you because some marketing person arbitrarily decided that 30 years ago yep like we need to get past that now and that that's my job as a parent to not let them be held up by those artificial roadblocks that have been put in front of them for no reason other than that's what somebody decided some some marketer somewhere yeah well and the other thing that that planet money episode talked about was you know as you said like the boys got the computers so women were entering computer science and you know in in on the collegiate level and um and they didn't know the basics and they were behind and made fun of and chastised and so they dropped out and went into other other fields i had um i talked on twitter to someone um her name's Carrie, who um, was a computer science major in the late 80s and ended up majoring in english for the very reasons that the planet money episode emphasized and um, I don't know, I was, so I graduated from high school in 2001. Um, and I'm trying, I think if I wasn't the only woman in all of my computer science classes in college, I was one of two or three. Yeah, I, I was, yeah, I, I was, I graduated from high school in 97. And the my lab partner for a lot of the classes was a woman and I'm pretty sure she was, if not the only woman in all those courses that I was in, she was one of very, 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 very few. Yeah. You know, and, and now we, here we are, you know, 15, we'll call it 15 years later. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't want to think about it being <laughs> more than, you know, but, um, and I wonder you know, it, it certainly seems like that culture isn't changing a whole lot and it's not open to change. And, um, you know, that's part of why I started this, this show is so that I could talk to people like you and, you know, like Brianna and Anna McGill, who's been on a couple of times, um, who is a games writer. And, you know, because I don't have kids, but I love children. My best friend has two daughters. You know, our our goddaughter is well, obviously a girl. Um, yeah. and you know, and I, I just, I am absolutely boggled that, you know, by the time these five, six, seven, eight year old girls reach college, they might have to be facing the same battles that I faced. 
and look around and not see any other, you know, women in the room. And I'm like, that's not okay. It's, you know, we, and then I think about, well, it's only been not even a hundred years since women have been able to vote in the United States. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I go in circles, but I, I want this to get better for, you know, for your girls and for these other girls I love because I want them to be able to do what they want to do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it too. And I mean, I, you know, I care about my friends now too. I mean, I, you know, the stuff that's going on in gaming that we don't need to mention is terrible and it needs to stop. But, you know, and, and that is my immediate concern, but I've also always got in the back of my mind that I don't want my girls to have to deal with that in 15 years. I mean, it's there, there are some darker moments when I think to myself, am I doing a disservice to them by encouraging them to get into video gaming, which, which is terrible for me to even have to think about. Yeah. And I don't think I am. I mean, you know, when, when I think about it objectively, I don't think I am. And, but you know, it's knowing what I'm signing them up for. And, and that's why, you know, I'm proud to do isometric and I'm proud to help, you know, put out there that, you know, gaming is a space for everybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's not the domain of one gender. It's not, it's not something that, women can't be interested in because they happen to be women it's that's stupid right you know yeah it's ridiculous absolutely and it's i i mean my wife and i bonded when we were dating over a gauntlet legends machine um you know and we spent hours upon hours fighting over pokemon cartridges after we graduated and there was one weekend that we spent an entire weekend playing Dark Cloud 2 and then realized that we started on Saturday morning and now it was Sunday night and we don't know what happened. And, you know, I, I want my girls to experience all that stuff too. Yeah. And and I want anyone who's felt like gaming isn't for them just because they don't fit what they think is the profile to not have to feel that way. Like, video games are an awesome art form and there's a lot to love about them and to keep somebody out just you know because that's always been for boys is like well that's not a good reason yeah i just i um you know i've had several several friends and followers on twitter have said you know this this is an extinction burst you know what yeah. what's happening right now is an extinction burst meaning you know, it's, it's in its death throes and, and, you know, we just, we need to plow through. And most of the time I believe that because, you know, I'm, I, I force myself into optimism a lot of the time. I'm, I'm actually a pretty cynical person, but I'm like, no, 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 let's, let, let's think about this better. Um, but sometimes I just think, well, what if it's not? And I can't let myself go there because that's, that's bad and depressing, but, I really think there's a lot of merit to, I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, like, like this badness that we're not going to really talk about much more has gone on for a while. And in the last couple of weeks, mainstream media is really starting to pay attention. And, you know, I just, I don't think it can continue as it has 
for much longer. And I think because of the people who are being vocal right now, um, you know, Brianna, Anita, Anita Sarkeesian, um, Zoe Quinn, you know, I think, I think that people are going to start paying more attention. And I really do think that it's going to start being more inclusive. Yeah, I just, I, I hope so. I just really hate that we're going through this to get there. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, when we talked about it, what I said was, and I still feel like this, is that we had a period a couple years ago where Lulsec was everywhere and they were hacking everybody and it seemed like no service was safe and everybody was going to get DDoS and everybody was going to get all their passwords released and that was just going to be the way that it was. And then eventually they found a couple of the guys who were behind it, they they brought them charges and then everybody else scattered. And so hopefully that's, you know, the FBI's involved and that's something that they're working on. And it's just, you know, we try not to talk about it in isometric unless our hand is forced kind Mm -hmm. of, because it's just, it's, it's exhausting. Right. You know, and it's, we don't want to, you know, and when Bree and I started the show, what we said, and we've said this on the show, and we we've said it privately, is just that we don't have a problem tackling any of this stuff. But that's not what we want the show to be. Yeah, like we don't want Isometric to be a show about, you know, about women's women in tech. It's. You know, it's something that we can talk about, but we don't want it to always be that way. What what we'd rather it be is just showing a a group of people who enjoy games, three of whom happen to be women. And, you know, and just show that we can have a normal conversation about that. And we can enjoy, everybody can enjoy games and you don't have to be, uh, you know, somebody who spends all of their waking hours practicing headshots in Call of Duty. And you don't have to be somebody who, uh, you know, can recite all of Chun-Li's combos in Street Fighter Alpha 3. And if you want to, that's awesome. And if you can do that, that's awesome. And if you're, you know, if you're able to do that, that's awesome. But you also don't have to be able to do that. There are games for everybody. Mm -hmm. And there are games for all ability levels. I'm clearly the least hardcore of any of the four of us. Clearly. Um. I mean, my failures at video gaming have been well documented, <laughs> and you know, uh, you know, any of them could take me. I, I, I fear the day when we finally play Super Smash Brothers because it's going to be embarrassing it's gonna be on, bloody. An, on, an, on an epic level. <laughs> but you know, that's that's what we want to highlight. That it's yeah. it's something that everyone can enjoy and everybody can be part of, and it's a good thing. And there's no reason to you know to 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 shy away from that just because you don't fit the profile. Well, and that's something. So Brie was my first podcast guest. She very she was instantaneously yes I will be on you know let's do Friday. It it I I literally almost cried, and you know <laughs> one of the things that we talked about is you know I I mentioned how I used to play World of Warcraft and you know now I don't have time and then a little while later I said something about how I wasn't a gamer and Brianna was like what do you mean you played World of Warcraft how are you not a gamer and you know I I thought about it for you know a good two hours after after we hung up and it was because I have this that mental image in my head that a gamer is 
you know, the person who plays Call of Duty and, you know, practices the headshots and goes on missions and, and, you know, so this is my, like, my cultural mentality, my mainstream media mentality of what a gamer is. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, I love playing video games. And I don't play them as much as I want to. And yes, you know, my I, I blogged about it. And my example was I played The Last of Us. And I played The Last of Us on easy mode because I I was infuriated. <laughs> you know, I, you, I could, you probably got farther than I did, too. I finished because it. I've talked to, I talked a lot about my struggles with The Last of Us, even on easy mode on the show. Yeah. And I still haven't gotten very far in that game. Yeah. And, you know, I played it with auto-targeting turned on. And... You know, and oh, you so, can do that? Yes. Oh. Yeah, it, it, it's not... That's it, a thing you can do, It huh? is a thing you can do. <laughs> it helps a lot. Um, it's not like 100% foolproof, but it, it alleviated my frustration with it a lot. It does not help with the bow and arrow. Um, and I that the bow and arrow is bad, but I love The Last of Us, you know? And, and I was like, what am I saying? I'm not a gamer. Of course I'm a gamer. I play games and I love them. That means I'm a gamer. And... Um, yeah, finish The Last of Us if you can. <laughs> yeah, well, I, in my copious spare time. Yeah, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> you know, me purchasing $40 on the PlayStation Store of games the other day, yeah. and I was like, this is going to take me five years to play. But Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing that people said to me as soon as I had the kids. It's like, oh, well, there good, goes your video say, games. Say, go, say goodbye to your video games. It's like, uh, yeah, no, that doesn't quite work that way i mean actually it's it's funny because i probably had more time to play video games in the first year after my first daughter was born than any other time because you, you spend a lot of time sitting there with a you know a bottle in your hand and in the middle of know, the night yeah you have a lot of time to to play video games but yeah it i mean that's that's the thing right it's like it's if you play candy crush at a high level you're you know you you're a gamer right you know if you play video games i mean that's and that's the whole thing with like the whole death of gamers thing and whatever is is that's not it it and death is over overstated but it's you know that that identity of just the guy in the basement you know chugging mountain dew at three o'clock in the morning is not representative of what a lot of people who play video games are anymore that's all that those articles were saying and it that's true and, and i'm happy to highlight that Yep. And I think it's great. And obviously, many other people do too. Yeah. I mean, we seem to be reaching an audience that's been waiting for somebody to talk to them. And I I am that audience myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a hardcore gamer. I, you know, I used to consider myself one. I'm not anymore. I have a very limited amount of time to play AAA games. I I have a less limited amount of time to play games that I can play on my laptop in bed at night or, or on a 3DS. But I don't have a ton of time for video games either, but I do the ones that I do make time for. I I enjoy a lot. Yep. Well, and you have to, right? Like, if yeah. you're not enjoying it, then then why do it? Yeah, yeah. All right. I think I'm gonna let you go. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but I would love to have you back on. I've had such a good time. Sure, we can talk. A, we can talk about how we're going to get Justin to buy you that PS4 and uh, <laughs> after and, he gets and, the iMac. And get you? Oh no, no, not, not no. after he gets the iMac. Before he gets the iMac. Well, but now I bought priorities. All these... <laughs> happy wife, happy life. But I got all these PS3 games the other day, so I guess I should. Um, for those of you who don't follow me on Twitter, uh, there is a what did what were what were people calling it? The strong the, the heroin flash sale. Yeah. So, um, so I spent forty dollars on this flash sale on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. 
Um, and I still have Child of Light that I've only played like two hours. So I'm <laughs> I have the PS3 for a while to before I can move on to the PS4, I think. But okay, yeah, I'm really I've got Bayonetta, um, which you guys well, which <laughs> Brian yeah, Maddie talk Maddie. a lot yeah. about on Isometric. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I'll try it out and see. Okay, so yeah, so Steve, how can people find you? Uh, well, so you can. Go listen to the show, which is isometric. We've talked about it uh, once or twice. A little bit, this yeah. Week. Yeah. Um, so you can go find that at um, 5x5.tv slash isometric. You can either start with the most recent episode, or if you want to make me sad by listening to the horrible audio quality of the first one and then work your way up, you can do that too. Some people say you need to. Some people, It's up to you. It, it, it always shocks me how many people tell me that they've gone and listened to the whole back catalog because I can't. I listen to hours upon hours of podcasts because I have a terrible commute and I've never done that. So that for somebody to say that they've done that is like as a podcast producer is like the highest praise yeah. that you could give to somebody. So you don't don't feel like you have to. You can start with the most. Well, you can start with the most recent one, which will be a happier one by the time that this airs. Yep. So same day. Yep. And uh, I'm other than that, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Wicked Good. I, I have a blog that I post to extremely infrequently at multiball.net um i've only got a couple posts on there but you know i'm proud of what i have oh it's well it's really well written well thank you i've enjoyed it thank you well thank you this is awesome (laughs) yeah i had a great time you can find the show on twitter at less than or equal if you have feedback suggestions for guests or would like to be a guest please go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form If you have a few minutes, it would be great if you would leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.